0: The Night Owl Podcast, Campfire Episode 10, Helltown. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, Please submit it to us for consideration. Go to the thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. Many of us are drawn to mystery, whether that's an unsolved murder, a mysterious disappearance, or for the paranormal enthusiasts, haunted places and legends. Tonight's campfire is actually a combination of all the above. It's a story of an abandoned ghost town in the middle of nowhere, a mystery surrounding the town's population's sudden disappearance, evidence of satanic rituals and sacrifices being held in the town's abandoned buildings, and a group of eager teenagers who venture there, hoping to have a paranormal experience of their own. Stay tuned. Some quick announcements before we dive in. First, be sure to stick around at the end of this episode because I'm going to have some cool updates and announcements at the close of the episode. So don't end your listen too early, or you'll miss out on some announcements regarding our show and some really cool news regarding two of our awesome team members, Alexis and Sarah. Secondly, I wanted to briefly introduce to you listeners that we now have a new affiliate sponsor, Green Mountain Flower Company, a CBD company based here in Austin, Texas. So you'll be hearing new ads supporting our partnership with them. Now through October, anytime you buy any of their products on their website using our coupon code NIGHTOWL, you'll get 10% off all their products and you'll be supporting our show directly. Thank you, Night Owls. This episode is sponsored by Green Mountain Flower Company, dedicated to one thing, bringing wellness to the world through concentrated terpene-rich CBD oil sourced from organic premium industrial hemp. At Green Mountain Flower Company, they believe in the power of the human spirit and have designed an incredible lineup of CBD products for you. They have infused coffees pain-relieving balms, tinctures, supplements, gummies, and even dog treats. When it comes to your health or your pets, cutting corners isn't an option. Everything Green Mountain Flower Company sells is 100% organic, gluten-free, non-GMO, and without heavy metals or insecticides. And right now, through October, Night Owl listeners can get 10% off all of their products. So visit GreenMountainFlowerCompany.com, use coupon code Owl. And harness the healing power of CBD. At Green Mountain Flower Company, the purity of nature is in every drop. This episode is also brought to you by Carter Physiotherapy. In 2014, I suffered a devastating back injury that put me on a three-year challenging journey to heal my chronic pain. After years of suffering, I finally discovered Carter PT. And with their specialized approach, I got my life back pain-free. If you're suffering from chronic pain or a recent injury, don't let it keep you from living the life you deserve. At Carter Physiotherapy, they offer a unique, hands-on approach to injury recovery, reducing pain, increasing mobility, and regaining an active lifestyle. Treating injuries and pain from head to toe, from headaches to ankle sprains, from back pain to knee, hip, and shoulder problems, Carter Physiotherapy is here for you and wants you to know you're not alone in your pain. Right now, they're offering both in-person and virtual telehealth sessions to respect social distancing, so no matter where you are, they can get you back on your feet and living the pain-free life you deserve. Visit carterpt.com and request your free consultation today. When you mention the state of Ohio, what comes to mind? Most people immediately think of its nickname, the Buckeye State, named so after the native Buckeye Trees. Or maybe your thoughts turn to the history of the area. The French-Indian War from 1754 to 1763 took place in the Ohio River Valley. Ohio actually gets its name from the Iroquois word Ohio, meaning Great River, which refers to the Ohio River that borders the state. The Iroquois inhabited this land in the early 1600s and were then replaced by the Shawnee, Delaware, Wyandotte, and Miami tribes later. The first Europeans to set foot in this rich, fertile area were the French fur traders in the early 1700s, who established fur trading posts throughout the area. The land became British colonial possession after the French-Indian War in 1763, and following the American Revolution, became part of the United States. The state of Ohio has produced many historically significant individuals throughout its inception. These include Civil War generals, scholars, inventors, and even seven United States presidents. Ohio is a state of many firsts as well. The first chewing gum was introduced here in 1869 by W.F. Stemple. Standard Oil Company, one of the nation's first major oil companies, was founded here in 1870 by John D. Rockefeller. B.F. Goodrich opened the first rubber manufacturing plant in Akron, Ohio in 1898. Many people credit Harry M. Stevens of Niles, Ohio, with introducing the first hot dog to the American public in 1900. But... The Buckeye State is not to be outdone in the area of creepy, eerie locations or strange, unearthly legends, either. The state has more than its fair share of scary, haunted, and spooky places. Places such as the Mansfield Reformatory, located on the outskirts of Mansfield, Ohio. Several ghosts are said to inhabit the former prison, not surprising considering its troubled history and the presence of the graveyard directly outside its walls said to hold as many as 200 graves of unclaimed souls who lost their lives within the walls of this haunted structure. Franklin Castle is located in Cleveland, Ohio. This four-story turreted structure is supposedly haunted by the murdered victims of its original owner, who built the home in the late 1800s. The Milan Cemetery, located in Milan, Ohio, is another site that is best avoided after dark. There have been reports of resident ghost Benjamin Abbott chasing visitors away from his crypt. One of my favorite tales from the state of Ohio has to be that of the Gallipolis Mothman, a huge winged creature with red glowing eyes that has been terrorizing citizens of the state for centuries and has been the inspiration for numerous books, films, and documentaries. But perhaps the most intriguing of all the eerie legends coming out of the Buckeye State has to be the story of Helltown, Ohio. The town's actual name was Boston, Ohio, and was founded in 1806. It's the oldest village in Summit County, Ohio. The first of many mills, a paper mill, was constructed there in 1820. Population in the area increased with the construction of the Ohio and Erie Canal, and the railroad soon brought a station to this small community and renamed it Boston Mills around 1880. A once thriving small community that's entire population suddenly vanished, leaving behind vacant homes, businesses, and farms. Today the abandoned town is entirely devoid of people, with its roads overgrown by the surrounding woods, homes vacant and desecrated, and churches abandoned and deteriorating. It's no surprise that rumors abound about this local mysterious ghost town in the Cuyahoga Valley. Today. There are many strange tales that have evolved into local lore and legends surrounding this mysterious town. Many claim that dark cults have operated in this area since its abandonment. Satanists who have sacrificed animals, painted upside-down crosses, and operated out of the local church that was abandoned there called the Mother of Sorrows. A haunted school bus sits at the edge of the encroaching woods in Helltown. Local lore says that a group of children riding on this bus on its last trip were killed by a crazed lunatic. Some claim that you can peer into the windows and see the ghosts of the children inside. Others claim to see a man, the crazed killer perhaps, sitting at the end of the bus smoking a cigarette. The graveyard in the town is said to be a dark and terrifying place, with graves dating back to the 1800s. Some claim to have seen a man sitting on a bench at a cemetery staring off into space. Others have heard strange growling and howls from deep inside the graveyard. There are numerous abandoned buildings located throughout the area there and just as many stories of ghosts that are said to inhabit them. A suicide supposedly took place in one of these abandoned houses in 2004, adding to the already spooky and eerie reputation of the town. Many people also claim to have seen a giant python slithering through the woods in the area. This particular snake of enormous proportions is said to be the result of an escaped python coming into contact with toxic chemicals that have been illegally dumped at the Kredshe dump nearby. As mentioned earlier, this eerily abandoned township is completely devoid of human inhabitants. At some time between 1974 and 1975, the entire population of this quiet town completely vanished. There's not a soul to be found in this place. However, remnants of its former residents can be found in the form of abandoned homes, vacant churches, empty businesses, and dilapidated barns. What could have possessed an entire town to just pick up and leave? Where did they go and why? And finally, did they leave any clues behind that could help answer any of these questions? In 2012, Connor and a group of high school friends, including his close friend Blake, decided to take a trip five hours away from their hometown of Dayton, Ohio, to visit and explore the abandoned streets and buildings of the legendary Helltown. What starts off as a thrilling night with friends in a mysterious town fraught with spooky legends quickly turns into a nightmare that still haunts Connor and many of his friends to this day. So grab a coffee or a whiskey, gather around the fire, and let's take a trip to Helltown, Ohio.
1: My name is Connor Gossel. I help in running a popular paranormal page on Instagram called The Haunted Historian. Me and two friends of mine who I... Uh, came in contact with one of them in high school, one in college. As luck would have it, we, we all had a very similar passion for, for ghost hunting and things of that nature. Uh, before I met either of them, I was, of course, already interested in this in early high school. And it was during my time in early high school that I actually had one of the most profound experiences for myself in the paranormal. Something that I have never experienced in what is now nearly a decade-long career in paranormal investigation and something I'll probably never experience again. And that is the story of the time about eight years ago when I visited Helltown, Ohio. Now, A lot of people, when they first think of ghost towns or abandoned villages, they, they always tend to get this image in their mind of the Wild West, of saloons and brothels and Banks just out in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. And that that's all well and good for uh, New Mexico, for Utah. But there's a good deal of them out in the Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, Kentucky area as well. But they're always abandoned for far more mysterious reasons that are stemmed around government involvement or whole towns vanishing overnight or lore surrounding how different people or different creatures came in the dead of night over a span of time and one by one picked out all of the citizens there. Helltown Ohio isn't anything like the latter one there, but it's a very unexplainable occurrence as to what has uh, given it the name Helltown Ohio. It's actually It's in a Boston township, about 20 miles south of Cleveland. And my friends and I, we all grew up down in the Dayton area. We were about four and a half hours south of there. If you uh, proposed, hey, let's get in the car, like all all eight of us, and travel four and a half, five hours north and go visit this abandoned ghost town that has some pretty dark history behind it, you know, usually people wouldn't be very enthralled by that. Our group of friends, with how boring our town was, was very excited by that. Now, some background on Helltown. It's been featured on Destination America and Travel Channel, and they did a relatively good job on touching on its history. It was back in the 1970s that it was abandoned, and it was abandoned by an executive order given down by President Gerald Ford ordering all people in that town to vacate their properties and get out of the area. Now, that that was kind of mysterious for the time uh, it's mysterious for this time they were to happen today and a number of rumors have been tossed out people said that uh you know the executive order never actually happened it was satanists and a uh, demon worshippers who came in and scared people out of there it was um the the mythical beast of a wendigo that came in and started stealing all the children it was a chemical spill that the government was trying to keep people from that ended up (laughs) as crazy as it sounds a chemical spill that ended up uh getting onto a python and turning it into a giant mutated python that everyone now calls the um peninsula python a pretty popular mythical legend here in ohio and that chased them out now the uh the reality behind it is not quite so weirdly horrific as those are, but still clouded in mystery. The reason that the government gave was that uh, President Ford wanted to kind of stem, uh, put, put a stop, we say, to deforestation in the area. So they forced all the residents of Helltown to sell the government their land and to leave. Everyone kind of says that, and they're like, oh, that's the reason Helltown's here now. They, they wanted to uh, buy all their land, turn it into a national park to preserve nature and wildlife. But here's, here's the mysterious thing. In what is now nearly half a century, no resident of Helltown, and mind you, there were children there in the 70s. I'm sure a lot of adults would still be alive as well. No one has ever stepped forward. No one has ever said anything. No resident has ever been interviewed or spoken with. And what's more having forcibly bought the town and bought the property from these citizens nearly half a century later, no renovations have been made. The buildings haven't been torn down. National Park hasn't been put up. It's as though they forced them to sell them the land under the auspice of this project, and nothing ever happened. Once they were out of that town, as though all the we'll say quote-unquote lies that they might have been peddling were just over and done with, they're out of the town. It's it's history. And so it's it's something that people kind of overlook. They kinda of say, Oh, Helltown, Ohio isn't real. These the myths and lore surrounding it aren't real. And it's like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that comes out about Helltown Ohio isn't necessarily real, but even the reality behind it is still very peculiar, very, very interesting, and very to this day, left unexplained. To a lot of people, especially in the Ohio area, where it's a big deal, everybody kind of wants to unearth the reality of what went down, and for whatever reason, no one has seemed to be able to. But, you know, long story short, living in Ohio, even on the other side of the state, we all had wind that this place existed. And, of course, being bright-eyed teenage kids in high school, a place called Helltown, and all the, the ghostly lore surrounding it was just like a the tractor paint drawing us in. All of us wanted to bring our girlfriends or invite different girls and show them how macho, show them how brave we were. Like, oh, we're going to health going and go alone into this building or into that building. Like, we're going to the bravest one amongst the friend group. And we hadn't done any research. We didn't know any of the buildings. We really didn't know anything beyond what, you know, teachers had told us, students had told us, very light surface level research on the internet had told us. And all of that is kind of centered around Dark things that have been happening in Helltown since its abandonment in the 70s. That being, you know, given its name, it's kind of been a big stomping ground for individuals and groups that are said to have practiced and be practicing um, darker religions, darker practices, things of seances, Satanism, cult, devil worshiping. And again, that's, it, it can seem like hokum to anybody, but you, you walk into just about any building there, and you're hard fought to find a single one where there's not a pentagram or an upside down cross or all the furniture pushed along the sides of the room as though whoever was there before was just doing something that required a lot of room right in the center of everything, something that you would see if they were trying to conduct a ritual. I'm sure anybody could agree with the journey is half the fun. And while we're on this five-hour car ride, about eight of us uh, packed packed into a car, one of us actually lying across the laps of people in the back seat. We're laughing, we're having fun. We're we are we are enjoying music. We're very lightly talking about what we're uh, where we're going, what we're about to do. It's as though we're all just in the car and no one seems to remember why or care why. It's literally as carefree as people can be. I really want to hit on that because it could not have been more of a 180 change when we got to the location we were heading to, that being Helltown.
2: My name is Blake Kendig. Connor and I have been friends for as long as I can remember. It was either late September or early October. That we had went down there. Uh, we had a group of us, uh, a few friends, that we all were kind of into that paranormal field and just really liked getting scared and going to the haunted houses and all that kind of stuff, but we wanted to try something a little different, and as you know, there's a thousand crybaby bridges, and everyone always says, well, this one's real, and this one's real, but we heard all the stories about Helltown, and we knew there was only one. So we knew that we had to go check it out and did like a uh, couple stupid high school kids. And we all hopped in a couple cars and took a little drive over to Helltown, Ohio to see what it was all about.
1: When you leave the city, when you exit Cleveland, as is the case when you exit Dayton or Cincinnati or Columbus in the state. If it's not the urban centers, you are in the middle of cornfields. You are surrounded by forests and fields. You are in the middle of, no- of nowhere. The population And civilization here in Ohio is few and far between. So if you're not in one of the hubs, you're basically alone. And that had never really sunk sunk in for us more or seemed like more of the reality or anything that any of us really kind of considered than when we kind of drove by the green sign. The actual traffic sign when you're pulling in actually reads Helltown, Ohio. So the local government has either really fed into it or people have forgotten that it was once something else.
2: There's only one road into Helltown, and it's kind of one of those things where you start to feel a little different as you're approaching it. You kind of just you know that you're getting close. It was really just kind of one of those feelings that just of unease, and you weren't really sure if, one, if you're supposed to be there if you're allowed to be there. Uh, We didn't really know where to start, so we just started on one end and worked our way down. One of our first stops in was actually the bank, and it was right after the sun had went down so it was completely dark. And All we had was our flashlights to use for light. Um, We walked in the bank, and everything was kind of pushed aside. And we kind of hung out in there for a while, and nothing seemed like it was happening. Um, And one of the guys recommended we go upstairs. Uh, we walked upstairs and up into the balcony, and we were sitting up there for, gosh, it felt
1: like maybe an hour. I think the first time that all of us jumped, that something happened inside of the town for us, was when we were inside of the old bank. And this this was a pretty run-of-the-mill bank. You walk in, there were like five or six different Uh, bank teller stands. There was a staircase along the left-hand side of the building that would take you uh, right upstairs to where I imagine some of the offices used to be. And we walk up there and we're just sort of looking around. And we don't see anything. But we're all just kind of standing around and for whatever reason, we just go deathly silent. And we don't say a word. We're just standing on the the, uh, top floor of this abandoned bank listening to the world. And as we're listening, you hear so clear downstairs, behind one of the bank teller stands, what sound, and, and, and we, all, we all heard it, and we all knew immediately what the sound was.
2: All of a sudden, it just got real quiet. And everything just felt so still. And then, just an emphatic boom sounded like a cash drawer had just been slammed closed. Um, and two of the girls that were right there next to each other screamed, and it kind of made everybody jump a little bit. Uh, and but it was kind of quiet after that slam. And then I had stood up and started walking toward the guardrail and stepped on a loose floorboard and squeaked. And all of a sudden, you just heard thunderous footsteps running out of the bank. And that's where just kind of the adrenaline took over and was no longer being scared as much as it was wanting to know what it was. I believe that in that instant, right there, is what truly gave me the itch to want to do that more. Because I'll, I'll be the first person to admit that I was a skeptic.
1: We didn't see anybody, we didn't hear anybody, we didn't see any shadows moving around, I hear any footsteps behind us. But that was the first thing that we heard that evening, and it put us on edge. And we threw everything out there to try and negate it from an animal being down there, perhaps, to something having happened outside, hitting something that was metal and then echoing in an abandoned building to, uh, in a way that made it sound like it was inside. But we all, we all knew what it was. Uh, I mean, anybody can relate to having a fearful moment and everybody trying to uh, plead ignorance for the, uh, the mental fortitude of all people that are involved in it. And we all kind of stay clumped together. We go back down the stairs, and we're heading back towards the front door to leave. And none of us can take our eyes off of the lineup of five or six teller stands. They're just staring there, kind of waiting for a, a shadow to appear out of the corner or see something move behind the windows. They hear the same sound or hope, I, as scary as it would be even to see an animal jump out of that, but we could at least say, yeah, it was something natural. But nothing did. We just heard that very loud, clear as day sound, and then everything was gone. And we left the bank. And the very next thing that we do is we go across the street. And we go across the street and we're heading towards what we assume is an old family's home.
2: So we hopped into one of the houses that was
1: across the street,
2: and the house was very similar to the bank, where we walked in, and there was furniture in the house, but everything was pushed off to the sides. The big difference, though, between the house and the bank was that there was upside down crosses painted on the walls of the house and you could just feel complete unease when you're in this house. I mean, it was like you walked in and you were immediately like somebody was screaming in your face telling you to turn around and get out.
1: We just walked inside of there and we were looking around at some of the uh, rubble. there were like the beer bottles lying around. We closed off the master bedroom because that was where the pentagram and the upside down cross were, and we didn't want to be near that. And so, once again, similar to the second story of the bank, we're all just kind of walking around in groups of two or three amongst ourselves, looking around the house. Some of us looking out the windows of the the back of the home, looking out into the wide expanse of field that's just behind the house, leading out of Hell's Home. And this was when things kind of started to take. A darker turn. It's something to this day that I i, I truly I can't explain. I've had nightmares about it. It's just something that truly irks me, both in how unexplainable it is, and the general creepiness.
2: The we were getting ready to leave, one of the other girls was actually downstairs,
1: and we heard her scream. Caitlin. Out of nowhere, literally just pierces the night and pierces your ear. You hear this wailing scream from her. And we all, of course, jump. We come running. We are, we're asking our Caitlin, what's wrong? What, what happened? What did you see?
2: You could see a look on her face of just kind of terror. And you could just see that she was locked in on something. We walked outside and you turn and you look, and there's a dog.
1: At first glance, when you saw it, it wasn't scary. What she was pointing at was this dog. I was just standing in the middle of the street. It, it was a stray dog. We didn't necessarily like it being there, but um, you know, it was just a dog in our minds. As so we walk out there and we're half of us are kind of just like trying to coax it over to us, like, hey, come here boy, like what are you doing out here in the middle of nowhere? But it's staying it's just staying there and it's staring at us. And the reason it started to get very irksome to us is because of what you can visually tell what's happening with this dog. You can A do this all of its hair is raised. It's in a tap position. B, it's trembling. It's shaking uncontrollably, as though it had it just walked out of an ice chest for the first time. It was trembling uncontrollably in the pitch dark from 75 feet away. It wasn't barking. It wasn't growling. It was just looking at us. And as soon as we were trying to think what to do next, it just turns to what was its right, and it walks between two homes, and it goes right into the forest. Now, we're kind of like, we should get out of here as a stray dog running around. We shouldn't be out here anymore. The second it walked into the woods, we hear this groan. You hear a whimper. You hear a cry. It's like any film, any TV show you've ever seen, where, unfortunately, the animal is killed. You hear it so unmistakably the sound of what all of us would have sworn up and down was, this dog just got killed by something."
0: The unsettling atmosphere of the abandoned and derelict town was beginning to sink in for Connor and his friends. This already unnerving night just became more ominous with the experiences in the bank and now the unsettling encounter With this strange dog. For the teens, it was beginning to feel like they might have gotten what they came for. And it was time to head back to Dayton, where they'd be safe. But sadly, the night wasn't over for this group of thrill-seeking friends. It had only just begun. After this short break, we'll return with more from this night in Helltown. Stay tuned. As a night owl, the most important part of my morning is starting off with a great cup of coffee. But some days, especially days where I have a lot of deadlines to hit for this show, I need to feel alert, focused, and calm. Caffeine alone cannot accomplish all three, and can sometimes leave you feeling anxious, jittery, and eventually burnt out. On days I know I'm going to need a bit more from my coffee than just a spike of energy, I brew a cup of Green Mountain Flower Company's CBD-infused coffee. After about 30 minutes, I'm feeling focused, energized, and I'm plowing through my work without any drawbacks. But let's be honest, how a coffee makes us feel isn't what most of us shop for. We shop for taste. Green Mountain Flower Company's CBD coffees do not disappoint in this area. The regular blend designed for focus is made from a Colombian bean, is medium bodied, smooth, and has notes of caramel, chocolate, and vanilla. It's truly delicious, with zero traces of foreign flavors or aftertastes that one might expect from a CBD oil-infused coffee. If you're like me and would like a bit more from your coffee, give Green Mountain Flower Company's CBD coffees a try. Right now, through October, Night Owls get 10% off all purchases by using the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Visit GreenMountainFlowerCompany.com and check out all of their incredible CBD products, including pain-relieving balms, tinctures supplements, gummies, and even dog treats. Elevate your spirit by harnessing the healing power of CBD today. This episode is also brought to you by Carter Physiotherapy. Unlike traditional physical therapy, at Carter PT, you're not in a gym-style clinic doing exercises and things that you could be doing on your own time, with little to no one-on-one time with your therapist. Carter PT provides full-hour, one-on-one treatment sessions focused on hands-on manual therapy provided by a doctor who's certified and fellowship-trained in manual therapy. As I mentioned before, in 2014, I suffered a devastating back injury. It took several years to even glimpse what a pain-free life was like again. I went from suffering pain every waking hour, unable to sleep, think, or even breathe without it being there, to eventually being pain-free. I have Carter Physiotherapy to thank for their life-changing therapy and guidance that they gave me. But more recently, I was thrilled because one of my life's passions used to be running. Hitting the trails here in Austin, putting miles behind me, and staying active helps me clear my head and focus and keep this podcast going. My back injury kept me from my love of running for over four years, and recently, I've been able to run again. But four weeks ago, I seriously strained my calf muscle. I realized I wasn't going to be able to run again for six to eight weeks. It was disheartening to say the least. But I remembered how much Jared Carter and his team at Carter Physiotherapy helped me overcome my devastating back injury, and I thought, why not give them a call and see if they can help me with this injury. We opted to try some video telehealth sessions, and in just two short virtual sessions, Jared had me running in less than a week. The unique approach he and his team take when healing an injury is hands down the best I've ever experienced not to mention fast and effective. If you're suffering from pain or injury, Carter PT now provides both in-person and telehealth online virtual therapy sessions. So no matter where you are, they can help you get back on your feet and live in the pain-free life that you deserve. And what's even better, first consultations are completely free. Visit carterpt.com or call or text 512-693-8849 to request your free consultation today.
1: We hear this groan. You hear a whimper. You hear a cry. It's like any film, any TV show you've ever seen where, unfortunately, the animal is killed. You hear so unmistakably the sound of what all of us would have sworn up and down was, this dog just got killed by something.
2: All of a sudden you heard, not necessarily a roar, but it sounded something close to it. And then you heard a yelp. And... He knew it was time to get the hell out of
1: there. We know that something happened to the dog, and we didn't want to be the next person
2: to get taken out with whatever it was.
1: And the only thing that really convinced us to head all the way back across town and head past that dog to head past the bank was what happened next inside of the church.
2: So we had actually wound up running over to the church And I will tell you, for anyone that wants to look up what Helltown looks like, if you look up the church, I highly encourage you to look up and see the bell tower of the original church that was there. There is an upside down cross on the church, but it was not an upside down cross that was put there, spray painted, something like that. It was built in to the church when the church was originally built.
1: We went inside the church. It was kind of the least horrifying building there was. There was still upside-down cross. There was still a pentagram, but it was was a church. We were all pretty religious people. Most of us still are very religious people. And we were just kind of taking, uh, no pun intended, sanctuary inside of there for the time being.
2: Just like every single house and bank and every building we've been in before, everything was pushed aside. It was like people have been in these buildings since they were abandoned and moved everything out in a way just to perform these satanic rituals. There could have been people there maybe looting. You could have squatters that were living there for some time just to get shelter. But not only was that upside down cross built into the church, there's upside down crosses in the church, which makes me believe that what's more of a horrible font to do satanic ritual than inside the holiest building that there is. And we walk in and we decided, though, that, you know what, we're going to sit in here for a few minutes just to kind of collect ourselves. And we kind of talked about what had just happened, one with the drawer in the bank, and then also with the dog.
1: Just recouping, regaining our breath, kind of talking about how creepy that was. Everybody on edge saying, what happened to that dog? What's in those woods? That was a relatively big dog, a 65-pound dog. And it it was just gone. Something killed it in the blink of an eye. And we're, of course, throwing around the idea that like, it didn't look very healthy or well off. And we saw it. It's very likely it walked in there and just died of natural causes. We couldn't necessarily explain away the cries and the whimpering, but that was, again, something we were trying to say to, uh, in our ignorance, find strength and fortitude amongst each other. And so we're all just sitting down uh, along the side of the church. On these front on the, the pews that had been pushed along there, and at this point no one wants to be away from anybody so eight of us are just lined up on two different pews just sitting there and we had pulled it back from the wall a bit because at this point we were horrified of something being outside in the walk, roaming around the middle of the town and so we didn't want anything you know in our heads reaching through the window or jumping against the wall while we were right there against it so We're just sitting there.
2: We're sitting there in a church, everything's fine. And then it started to get that eerie feeling again, like the bank. And it was just kind of, you couldn't really tell what it was again, but it was almost like you were being watched. And that's when all of a sudden, right as I was getting ready to tell Connor that I had that feeling and that I was being watched, there was a bang on the other side of the church in one of the back rooms.
1: And we hear this kind of metal clamor. Which is odd. There's nothing inside of the entire church beyond these pews. Something was being deliberately hit. They were quick metal bangs. And it was very clearly coming from up where the altar was. And, and we're all kind of sitting there. We have our phone flashlights out. No one thought, of course, to bring some actual flashlights. We all had like eight phone flashlights shined up there, which worked worked pretty well. And as we're doing so, you kind of hear this groan that comes from behind us.
2: We looked at each other, kind of like terror in your eyes. Each had that look where, just knowing that the other one heard, but it just didn't sound right. And then it was getting closer.
1: And it's coming from right where the entrance of the door is. It sounded just like uh, a man, as though he was sitting in like a phantom pew in the back of the church, just... Groaning from exhaustion, but it was so clear and so distinct where the location was that we were all very shook by it. And as soon as we hear that groan, we kind of are in this semicircle, just naturally. Half of us are looking at the altar, the other half are looking towards the door where we hear this groan. And what really made it sink in was what followed the groan. The second you hear the groan, you hear another two bangs of metal up towards the altar. And we all look up there. Now, mind you, on this altar, there are two wooden doors. There's one on the left and the right-hand side of the front of the church. Uh, we didn't go into them. I don't know if they exited the building, if they went into a dressing chamber, into a back office, another portion of the sanctuary. I couldn't tell you. But we hear, if you played it all back, you'd hear a bang, bang, bang on metal. We're all off the pew looking around the altar. You hear a... Uh, from behind us, there's a, a man behind us. We look back there, half of us, and we're in a semicircle in the middle of the sanctuary. You hear two more bang, bang, up towards the altar. We look back, even the ones who were facing the, the, the front of the church, just to the back of the church where the door was, where they had just heard this man. And the second we hear those next two bangs, we look up to, and we look up to the front, and I kid you not, when I say we all look up there, And to this day, the most distinct, I I, I want to call it an apparition. I want to call it a shadow person to this day. I don't know what the actual term for it would be. It looked so real, but it was a three-dimensional, completely blackened being.
2: You saw a full-bodied black apparition walk from one end of the altar to the other. And it was one of those things where I believe I had saw it first and it was tap the person to your right and then they look and then they tap the person to their right and then just everyone goes online tapping everybody and everyone's jaws are open just staring at it and seeing it. And you could see it clear as day.
1: Doesn't walk out of the door on the left hand side of the altar but walks through it. Like comes diagonally out the corner of the door as though doesn't even notice us and walks directly across the altar and goes into the right-hand side door. To this day, I think about that. To this day, we all talk about that.
2: If the bank and the cash door wasn't the moment that I believed, that was the moment when you see that and you know that there's absolutely nothing that you can do to prevent from if it decides to turn on you. um, We were just a couple... Or a group of stupid high school kids. We didn't know the first thing about paranormal stuff. Besides what you see on TV. And what you think you know. So we had no idea what was going to happen if we found something. And the fact that that was there in front of us. Clear as day. And we all saw it. Not just one of us, but all of us saw it. I'll never forget that moment. But I will say probably the thing that happened next was even worse. If you can believe it. I had been getting cold chills on my neck all night. I was wearing a hoodie. It was... Late fall, maybe even entering early winter, cold breeze, whatever. Now we're in a church where there's no breeze in the church. I'm sitting, and my left side is open. Everyone else is sitting on my right. And I felt a very cold presence. felt like it sat down next to me. I mean, goosebumps immediately, a cold breeze going across my neck. And then, as I was looking down, I watched my baggy left sleeve of my hoodie, go so tight, and press against my arm, and it felt like something grabbed me. It was as if something had reached over and put its hand around my forearm. I i was just for loss of words. I, I couldn't say run, I couldn't scream, I couldn't do anything, I had no idea what to do. I was staring at my forearm with amazement, but then also terror, fear for my life, And it wasn't until we got home that I had told Connor what had happened. Because at this time, after the full-bodied apparition, everyone else was wanting to leave. And I was the last person sitting on that bench because somebody was holding me. And I didn't tell Connor why I was still sitting there until, until we had gotten back. Anyone that has not had a paranormal experience or had that kind of paranormal experience... I will tell you that is, that is probably the most terrifying thing that you can have happen to you where a legitimate entity has enough energy and power to be able to grab you. And I didn't try to fight it. So I'm not going to say he was holding me down or it was holding me down, but the idea that something had enough power and energy to grab my arm, but not just make me feel it, but then to be able to physically see what seemed like a handprint grab my hoodie and I could see the impression in my sleeve. Honestly, anyone that's interested in the paranormal, I will say this, if you ever, ever come across something like that, the hardest thing to do is sit there. But if you can sit there and just just be there in the moment for a little bit, the feeling is it's almost addicting.
1: We ran like we had never run before. We ran, and I'm pretty sure I can remember hearing a number of the people around us crying, a number of them screaming the entire way. We ran until we were back in the car, which, again, was about a mile and a half away. We were so scared that there was either something inside of every building there or that something was following us in and out of every building. So we made it back. And we thought it was as simple as that. We were back in the car. We were so horrified; no one could sleep. We were driving back down towards Peter Creek, and that was the end of it. We thought that was the end of all of it. We stopped in, I believe it was Columbus, three hours south. We all got like a couple rooms at a red roof in and that was that. And then the morning continued on, and we actually went back to my house in the Dayton area where everybody had parked their cars before we, we went. And this is where the events of the previous night were solidified for us. In the process of driving five hours, you managed to think in your head like this didn't happen, or that didn't happen, or this could have been that, or it could have been this. You're amongst your friends in a safe place, and you begin to immediately discredit everything that you just experienced. It was, I, I want to say, about 11 a.m., and leading up to my house was this big hill. That led down at the bottom of the hill to a pond. That's a number of other houses surrounded, but we didn't really have a view of those houses. Everybody gets out of the car. They're stretching. They're grabbing their belongings. They're checking they have their, their keys, their phones, and their wallet. And I'm just sort of standing in the garage talking to a few of them as a number of others began heading for their vehicles to... Drives home and uh, like me to this day forget the, uh, forget the very unexplainable, very horrific very um, traumatic events of that evening, especially the last one there at the church. When the same girl, God bless her heart she had a rough go with it this, this trip Caitlin doesn't scream this time but you just hear her exclaim very loudly from her car, guys get out here. And so those who were already out by their cars kind of turn around and walk over to her and when I get out there with uh, two of my friends, Nick and Tyler. Uh, We're already, we're we're walking out of the garage as we see the other four or five just standing next to Kaylin's car, staring down my road. Their eyes are just fixated down the hill of the street leading up to my house. And I only get halfway through asking, "What, what are you guys looking at? What's going on? And I turn my head and I look down to see what they're looking at. About halfway down the hill of my house, in between us and the pond, I shit you not, was this dog. And it was just standing there looking at us.
2: This dog was standing in the middle of the street, shaking. And he looked just like the dog from Helltown. And this is the middle of the day. I mean, this isn't at night. So it's not like we're like, oh, our eyes are playing tricks on us. It, this was the middle of the day. And this dog was shaking in the middle of the street again and staring at us.
1: It was staring at us. It had come out of nowhere. It was a nice neighborhood, but it was a small number of those who lived there. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody's pets. It was a close-knit little neighborhood there. This dog is something that none of us had seen before who lived in uh, the next neighborhood over. And it was. kind of temperament that we had never seen prior to the night before. Its hair was raised in every spot. It was even more so in the daylight, visually trembling and shaking. And it was just standing there, staring at us. It didn't look dangerous. It didn't look like it was about to do something. It almost looked curious staring at us. As though we were the first people in a long time who had seen it and it was attached to somebody. Or we were just people who happened to stumble upon the reality of Helltown, Ohio. That being the ghosts and the spirits that still lived there on that specific night. And those that very likely may still reside there to this very day. But the dog, as soon as we took a step forward, no rush, just turns around, walks back down the hill and goes down to the pond and it doesn't go into the water, but it loops around and it walks right out into the forest behind it. Now we didn't hear anything this time, but what really hit our nerves was as it was crossing these perpendicular streets, there were two couples and they were out just walking and I'm walking down there with uh, Tyler. He and I know them uh, pretty well. And I asked them both, Have you guys seen that dog before? Do you know who that is? They don't know what the hell we're talking about. And I asked that dog that just walked right by you guys, that dog that just crossed your path, that just walked into the forest there, it's hard to miss, that, that dog, neither of them. They didn't see anything. They didn't know what we were talking about. They had not seen anything. And never before that day and never again did we see that dog. Never again in a decade of paranormal investigation had I seen a figure so unmistakably, three-dimensionally humanoid and otherworldly. Very rarely have I experienced poltergeist activity like inside of that bank. And never before have I been so haunted in my, my uh, daily thoughts and my nightly dreams than by what in the world that dog was from Helltown, Ohio. to this day, it's still shroud of the mystery. The one thing I am sure of is that after that day, to this day and never again, will any of us ever set foot in that town again.
2: There's been a few places that we've went before, and I believe that Helltown is a product of it, where bad energy can be a gateway for demonic spirits. And other spirits to find a place to fester. With what we saw there, and you could tell there were satanic uh, rituals and that done there. I would say a lot of the hauntings are from people that brought them there. It was just so uneasy, so much dark energy, that it makes me think that it wasn't the traditional sense where people think, oh, a lot of people died there, so then their spirits are haunting it. It was more so felt like the spirits that were there, that were haunting it, were brought there. They're not a product from
0: there. This experience that happened eight years ago in Hilltown, Ohio, has remained vivid in Connor, Blake, and their friends' minds, even after all these years. In fact, Connor believes it's the catalyst that led him down the path of pursuing paranormal investigation. today. Connor, Blake, and another friend have created an Instagram account known as The Haunted Historian, originally as a way to stay connected with their paranormal community and scratch their itch for continuing research of haunted locations. The Haunted Historian has led Connor and his friends on a journey now where they've investigated over 70 haunted sites and have over 58,000 followers on Instagram.
1: The Haunted Historian is a global Instagram page. It's a compilation of photographs history, stories, and evidence from third party websites, international investigative teams, and my own team here in the U.S. And we work uh, diligently to talk with docents, to talk with staff, to talk with investigators, guests who have been to locations in every corner of the globe and in every corner of the country, to put that into what is now Instagram's largest uh, compilation of haunted locations of paranormally active destinations for individuals to visit others for them simply to learn about either because they're closed off to that capacity for ghost hunting or they've been torn down since but you can go on to instagram search the haunted historian it'll pop right up for you and if you want to get in contact the email is right there at haunted narrative at gmail.com we always accept uh, submissions, uh stories, evidence, and always more than welcome to be featured on the page and to continue to spread what uh, ultimately is the main purpose of the page, that being community and uh, camaraderie and unity in the paranormal world, and really working together to get as much evidence of the afterlife as we can.
0: Please check out the Haunted Historian Instagram and give them a follow. It's great to see fellow paranormal enthusiasts sharing ghost stories, not just the hauntings, but the history and culture surrounding them. After having their shared profound experience at Helltown, Connor and Blake have found a way to continue their search for answers and have more paranormal experiences, and at the same time, they've created a place for our community to explore, research, and wonder. I hope you enjoyed this spooky little campfire. Thank you to Connor and Blake for sharing their experiences with us as well. Before you leave, we have a couple of announcements I think you listeners will want to hear. First and foremost, after nearly five months of deliberation, research, and planning, I've shifted the way the Night Out team can investigate new locations, and I'm happy to announce that we will begin our new COVID 19 safe investigation model on August 28th at a new location. I myself take the pandemic very seriously and absolutely consider the safety of myself, my team, and the business owners opening their doors to us before anything else. So it took me some time to research and develop a new way of investigating that will keep us as safe as possible during this pandemic, yet still allow us to go on new investigations for the show. In the meantime, we're going to keep putting out new campfires on the last Monday of every month until we've gotten this new normal for our show down. But I wanted you all to know that we are beginning a new case on August 28th with a very new and safe style of investigating so stay tuned for that. Secondly, our Night Owl team member Alexis and his partner Eric of City Alchemist have published their very first book offered by Conjure South Publications. Mahía, Mahía, Invoking Mexican Magic is an introductory book to the spiritual practices of the Texas-Mexican border. In the book, you can learn more about folk saints like Don Pedrito and magical creatures such as Chuparosa and Lechuzas, as well as how to develop a spiritual relationship with them. You'll also learn how to do basic cleansings, protections, love, and luck magic, as well as how to begin communication with your ancestors and spirits. So support our incredible team member Alexis and his partner Eric by purchasing a copy of this book at www.conjuresouth.com or amazon.com. Signed copies will soon be available on their website, www.cityalchemist.co. Lastly, this is a big announcement I know many of you listeners will be excited about our team member and clairvoyant Sarah has been going through a spiritual journey for quite some time. At the start of the show in episode one, I asked her to step out of her comfort zone and take on a case. Since that day, we've worked together on many cases and I've watched her grow in her ability and embrace the gift she has. There have been many people who have reached out to Sarah to ask about her gift because they too have had a similar experience and up until then have not had anyone to contact She's felt an important calling to share the knowledge she's gained, not only to provide a safe platform for others with similar gifts, but also to help those who do not have the ability to seek the comfort and advice from the spiritual beings that help us along the way. Sarah has launched a website that now offers these services while maintaining the privacy and respect from person to person visit metaphysicalu.com for consultations, readings, and mentoring, and you can also set up virtual meetings during these times of social distancing. To learn more about Sarah's services, visit metaphysicalu.com. That's metaphysicalU with the letter u.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to say thank you to all you listeners supporting our show through Patreon. This pandemic has greatly affected our finances, with us not being able to host year-round events, so currently, our only real source of support is Patreon. I'd like to send all my Night Owl patrons my love for all your support through these challenging times. You can support our show by going to Patreon.com/TheNightOwlPodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/TheNightOwlPodcast. Thank you all. We will continue to release new Campfire episodes on the last Monday of every month until our new investigations are underway and running smoothly during this time. We are working on developing some very special offerings for you listeners as well, so stay tuned for some upcoming announcements. To do this, subscribe to our newsletter on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at thenightowlpodcast, and consider becoming a patron and supporting our show on patreon.com slash thenightowlpodcast. I'd like to thank my investigative team, Sarah, Alexis, Franklin, and Tao, for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair for his talented musical contributions to this show. Jennifer for managing our merch, Patreon, and many other irrational tasks I throw her way. My dad Sam for his incredible historical research. Bo for helping produce this busy indie show. My assistant editing team, which include Alex, Alexis, Bo, Jennifer, and Mikey. And thanks to Sean for his help with our story submissions. Alicia for her creative design work and marketing. And lastly, Sandra for keeping us all on schedule and on budget. And a very special shout out to my wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound, for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And a special thank you to this episode's sponsors. If you're ready to elevate your spirit with the healing power of CBD, give Green Mountain Flower Company a try. For a limited time only, get 10% off all their products using coupon code NIGHTOWL. Visit GreenMountainFlowerCompany.com. And if you happen to be struggling with chronic pain or recent injury, but aren't comfortable leaving the house, reach out to Carter Physiotherapy, get a free phone consultation, and set up a telehealth online session to start your path to healing today visit carterpt.com. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcast or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.